Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Jason Staples and Greg Barnes. That means it is the Game Plan podcast, certainly sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyTShirt.com and take a moment to rate us and review us and subscribe on YouTube. If you missed during the week, the post-game podcast, I had Dewey Burke and Michael Brooker and Sherelle McMillan on those for the Maui Invitational. Uh, So check those out. They were not on YouTube. They're on our normal Apple, iTunes, all that stuff, uh, the audio podcast. And that brings me to the first person I'm going to talk to is Greg Barnes. Greg Barnes, how was Maui? Uh, I don't know if you can tell. I got a little bit of a suntan. Um, on the days that it did not snow, but yeah, that that's one of the funny things is I, you go to the Maui Invitational, it's this big deal, right? And I walked from the hotel in downtown Asheville, which was maybe a half a mile. So Monday night, it was dark. I walk over to the uh, facility and they're taking your temperatures when you walk in the door. Well, because it was so cold in Asheville, I mean, it snowed that night that <laughs> I had to wait by the front desk for 10 minutes because my temperature wouldn't take. My face was so cold. It finally took it 94.2. So I had a 94.2 temperature as what they recorded before I walked into the game. So it's, it's, I don't know if there's a more of 2020 anecdote than, than that in terms of, uh, covering UNC athletics. I saw a meme the other day that said, uh, why in the world are they, are they testing men's fevers, you know, when they walk in places? Have you ever seen a man walk around with a fever? That's right. That's, my wife sent me that one. Oh, yeah. Uh, funny. Yeah, and Tommy, <laughs> you were in Bahamas last year. You know where that, that tournament was originally scheduled to be played. Uh, after the COVID situation, right? It was like South Dakota or South something. South Dakota. And they said, yeah, we're just not going to do this. Yeah, I saw they, uh, some people <laughs> had said early on at the Battle for Atlantis in South Dakota, and I think the Atlantis put out a thing and said, yeah, that's not us. <laughs> we're not affiliated with that out there in South Dakota. Well, we had surfboards. We had uh, Hawaiian shirts. I mean, they, they were trying very hard. They did the – before the championship game against Texas, uh, we didn't see the well, – I didn't sing it, but nobody sang the national anthem. They did sing the Hawaiian state anthem. And so they had the song come on. They had a video display. So they did everything they could to make you feel like you were in Maui other than the <laughs> below 
freezing temperatures outside. Yeah, other than the sand and the beach right outside the gym <laughs> door there. It's, uh, yeah, you're right. What a 2020 thing. Um, maybe one day we'll get back to some semblance <laughs> of normal. Um, Buck Sanders, I want to go to Maui in five years if it's actually in Maui. If it's in Asheville, I'll just drive up there. Greg, I know you've been busy. I know you've been on basketball mindset for the past few days, but Carolina has a football game Saturday at noon against Western Carolina. Uh, this is a game, and this is a game plan podcast, where we're not going to spend a ton of time on Western Carolina. Carolina's favorite, I believe the line's 50. It is 50. obscene. Um, if I was a betting person, I, I don't know what I would What do. is more attractive about this? The 50-point <laughs> spread or the 69 over-under? Mm. I don't know. I'd probably Give me the under. The under is the most attractive thing right there. Do you I think, think so too? I think Carolina scores, if they want to, Carolina maybe scores 65, 67. By That's the key, though. If they want to, they could win this game 56 to 7 and still be well under that and still get everything they want to done. Take the under, folks. After Jason Staples with his, uh, with his dietary suggestions and also his betting suggestions. Greg, first of all, Carolina's supposed to play Charlotte back in September. That fell through. This game came up a little bit later. Why is North Carolina playing Western Carolina on the second weekend, first weekend in December? Well, the, the primary answer to that question is because the ACC needed the content. Um, because when, when the Charlotte game uh, was canceled, they tried to get a game uh, that weekend. And then they tried to get a game the next weekend because it was the open date. Uh, and they could not get anything to work out. I mean, they contacted a bunch of teams that had openings, and some teams were, were asking for some crazy money. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember – don't hold me to this, but I want to say North Carolina had, had, was going to pay um, Charlotte 600000 because they had, they had rescheduled the game initially, and it went from 500 to 600. They offered that to a number of teams to come to Chapel Hill since they, you, know, you already had that money accounted for. Uh, and teams wanted more than that, which was crazy. And UNC was shocked. They figured it would be an easy fix. was not the case. And then they started looking ahead and said, well, we do have the opening before the, the Notre Dame game. But that, at that point in time, the academic calendar had already changed. And so UNC knew that, that there were going to be an exams that week. And I said, well, we don't want to do that to the kids. Well, then you're out of dates. And so UNC said, well, we're just, we're just not going to have a non-conference game. And the ACC said, nope, we actually need – you know, extra games. And so if, if everybody plays a non-conference game to give them, you know, 11 games, that's 15 extra games that we can air on ACC network. And so that was the point of it. And so what did UNC do? They scheduled this game against Western on Friday, December 11th, which at the time was going to be the final game of the year. So it made no sense from UNC's perspective. This is an exhibition. And then of course, everything happened with Miami's uh, COVID situation and so it got flipped. So now you actually have some benefit. Um, but Mac Brown uh, lamented the, the loss of that Charlotte game for quite a while um, because that was important to be able to, to build depth and to use it as a glorified scrimmage to get a lot of young guys playing time, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So that's how they're going to use this. And uh, he, he, Mac kind of jabbed at Ross Martin earlier this week because Ross <laughs> got on him about his coach speak. Uh, but it's, it's the truth. I mean, North Carolina is going to win this one handily. 
And so it's really about getting those young guys a lot of opportunities. And maybe that will pay dividends for, for that game in, in Miami uh, on December 12th. It's yeah, got to be the game you're most excited about, Tommy. Hey, I'm going to be there. The family's going to be there. They actually sold tickets to this one. And like you mentioned. Backup quarterback, right? Absolutely. You're going to see a lot of Jacoby Criswell. Look, let you're me even, show you something. You're going something. to see a lot of Jace Reuter. You see that six up there? Might, oh. have to break, might have to break it out. Might have to wear it to Chapel Hill. Now, it's a game to uh, – if it were the end of the year, like you said, Greg, I think it would be just terrible. Uh, it had been like uh, Dinar, Cersei, and those guys – or excuse me, um, yeah, Cersei and – Sean Drone mentioned how they'd had Friday, Friday Night, Night Lights back in the day. And I don't yep. know if that was my audio or y'all's, but it would be a similar type situation to that. Uh, Jason, you mentioned on the betting lines and stuff, Carolina can still accomplish what they want to do in this one. So what exactly do they want to accomplish? And I'll ask you this first. How important is it that it's before Miami to get this game out of the way for Miami and prepare for Miami at the same time? I think it's really helpful for a lot of reasons. One is they, they just got their butts kicked up front on both sides of the ball in this, in this last game. And this is an opportunity to – more on the offensive side, actually, this, in this last game than, than uh, the defensive side, even though the defense got, got beat pretty good in the second half on, on, the, on the front. But this is an opportunity to continue to, to polish stuff up at game speed with the, with, with the uh, limited reps that you actually can get in games with the higher pressure of, of actually performing with the lights on to, to get some things polished up to say, no, we're going to do it right. We're going to do it the right way. And that's, that's really what Mac Brown and the coaching staff are going to be preaching coming into a game like this. Cause they know, I mean, coach, coach speak and all, yeah. And, you know, Matt can try to, you know, pull the Lou Holtz that they're going to, that, that this is, that this Western Carolina team might be, you know, they, they might not be the same level, but they could beat anybody on any given day. Now, you know, he could, he could try to take that stance, but coaches know that players know that like, look, this team's probably not going to beat us, but what can we get out of this? Can we play to standard? And that's the thing. Can we play to the standard? that we set in this program, can we do it right so that when we go back and we look at this, at this tape, when we, when we evaluate, are we going to see you doing it right? Or are you going to be running? <laughs> or, or, you know, or are there going to be, is there going to be a younger guy coming for your job because he actually did it right in this game? And that second part is a really big part in this game because your hope is that you can get those older guys enough reps early on to polish some stuff up, make sure that they, that they're holding standard. And then you give basically your young guys that you're trying to bring along on the offensive side. You try to give them a couple quarters on the defensive side. You're working them in drive one, drive two, you know, some of those guys that maybe Mac doesn't totally trust on the defensive line or at outside linebacker. I mean, some of these guys that like Evans who flashed, but then they'll make a mistake here or there. Those guys, those guys are going to get an opportunity to play enough to where they'll be able to play through some mistakes and then get coached up a little bit and then do it right enough times in the game to start reinforcing good habits. And then you can feel a little bit more trust in playing them against Miami, which then makes you better because those guys are physically a little ahead of some of the older guys. So I think there's a lot of positives here. 
it also means that you don't have to necessarily play Sam Howell, uh, you know, three, three plus quarters. You, you hopefully can get him maybe two quarters and a, and a couple snaps and then, and then get him out of there. Maybe, you know, if you want to give him that much, you want to keep him, keep him polished, keep him, uh, keep him in rhythm, but it gives you a chance not to, not to get a bunch of guys hurt as well. I mean, I put bubble wrap on my, on my running backs, for example, Javante and, and Michael Carter, I'm giving those guys, you know, like five carries a piece and then see you guys, we're going to have to start working on, on your backups here in this game. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll have you guys ready. So you're that much fresher at some of those positions going into Miami as well. Yeah. And Tommy kind of to highlight what, what Jason's talking about there. I mean, Mac Brown on Wednesday talked about how he was not happy with how practice is going this week. And that, that really is kind of the test. And you know, he's talked earlier this year about how last year, I mean, it was really up and down in terms of how the guys practiced. And he knew, you know, some games they were going to be up. And other games they weren't because they didn't practice very well. Uh, they've been better this year, um, as, as you would expect in year two. But there have been some weeks where he hasn't been happy with how they performed. And apparently coming off that, that Notre Dame game, knowing that this is a game they can play their C game and win. I mean, let's be honest about it. Um, they could probably they play their D game, maybe even their F game. And win this game. Right. Well, it looks that's, like not, that's not the point. The point is to they J- need to play J- their A game. Play, play to your standard. Play your A game for two quarters. Get out of there. Know that you did a good job, and then let the let the backups and the young guys get a lot of time. Yeah, and looking at you know Western schedule is the most bizarre looking schedule you'll ever see <laughs> in football. But they lost Liberty by a bunch, and they lost to Eastern Kentucky by a bunch and then they don't play again until at Furman on February 20th I mean it's I feel for those kids uh, they're getting to play college football though so and a lot of us don't Greg we mentioned Sam Howell we've mentioned the running backs how long do they play I, I mean ideally how long does Sam Howell play in this game well Mac Brown typically traditionally um, has always said that he wants to play his starters through the third quarter, uh, just to eliminate any chance of a comeback. This is uh, a different situation, uh, not just because Western Carolina's only played two games and because UNC is favored by 50, uh, but because this is a team that, that needs to build depth. I mean, if you're, if you're really wanting to take the next step in 2021 and, and be playing for a spot this time of year into the ACC championship game, uh, you're going to have to have more people contribute, especially on offense. And so I think because of that, you know, once North Carolina is able to get a significant lead, there's no reason they shouldn't score on every possession. I mean, there may be one where something happens and they drop a pass or somebody falls down and you're not going to do that. Um, but you would think by halftime, I mean, this is going to be 42 to zip. And at that point, you would assume they'd be comfortable and moving to the, to the next line. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would assume at least through the first half, I'd be, I'd be surprised – if Sam Howell takes the field in the third quarter. Uh, but as I said, Mac Brown's kind of always held to the notion of keep your starters in at least until you get closer to the fourth quarter. I, I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Howell got the first series of the third quarter. And, and, that, and I would be surprised if he went past the first series of the third quarter. And, and the reason for that is a lot of coaches hold to this idea that they want to make sure that their guys stay in the rhythm of being able to go into halftime and then come out of halftime sharp and just make sure that they're, that they're able to stay in the game 
that way and that that's an important thing. So even if you're up 63 to nothing, you come out with your starting quarterback and a few of those guys for the first for the first series of the third quarter. And even if they only take three or four snaps in, in, the, in the third quarter, and then, then you make a change mid-drive to your backups, you put your backup quarterback in there, you've at least had your guy go through a normal halftime warm-up, get back into the flow, get back into the kind of rhythm that he has to be to take snaps and, and be focused on that and then move forward. So I wouldn't be surprised with that. I wouldn't be terribly surprised if he just you know, came out without pads on at the, at the half or after half. But I think the, the thing that I most expect is probably for him to take a few snaps in the, in the third quarter and then get the hook after that first drive. If he's in there beyond the first drive of the third quarter, then something went, in my view, went seriously wrong. Uh, or there's going to be a lot of room to criticize uh, the staff for, for not, uh, not playing the young guys enough. And one of the things, one of the reasons that, that Howe and the entire offensive line um, played into the fourth quarter against Duke, even though that game was in hand, is because Max said that the last drive of the third quarter was not a good drive. And they didn't want to end on that note. They wanted to end on a positive drive. Uh, so that kind of speaks to the, the mindset of, of, of finishing strong and, and playing, playing to the level that's set uh, and not kind of coasting. Yeah, you haven't earned your way off the field, essentially. Right. Yeah. So last question before the break, Greg. Does my guy Chriswell get to throw any passes today, tomorrow, <laughs> Saturday, whenever it is? We're recording this on Thursday afternoon. Yes. If he's going to throw a pass in 2020, <laughs> it's going to be in this game. <laughs> Interesting. It needs to happen. I think the message boards might light up as bad as the basketball, uh, as bad as they were on the basketball games uh, the last three days if Chris Well doesn't get some attempts. Let me talk about Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Mm. Of course, great sponsors. Jason loves them. We need to get Jason some Johnny T-Shirt sweatshirts, though. He needs to sport those um, to go along with his uh, sp- other sponsorships. Uh, Johnny T-Shirt is, of course, our great sponsor and great friend of Inside Carolina, and they've got great deals. I saw an email today talking about all the Jordan brand stuff was on sale. Um, So you need to go there and you need to go online. If you're in town Saturday for the Western game, stop by and visit them and get all that great gear, get all you need, especially for everybody in the family and friends. Christmas time is here. Take us another short break. Pay the national bills. Be right back with the Game Plan Podcast. Greg Barnes, Jason Staples. I'm Tommy Ashley. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your 
time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. All right, boys, we're back. It's the game plan. It's Inside Carolina. It's Johnny T-shirt. And it's Western Carolina coming to town. Uh, I said earlier we probably wouldn't talk about Western enough, but – Jason, I'll come to you for just a brief moment to talk about the game plan against Western. Is it let it fly or is it run Carter and Williams? This is important stuff because they're close to 1,000, and most Carolina fans want to see them both get 1,000. Um, I think, what, Michael Carter's 150 away and Javante is maybe a little bit over 100 away. What, what's Mac do, Jason? So I think they're going to run their offense so that's not that you need to expound on that <laughs> yeah i mean what that means is that they're not going to come into this and say okay we're just going to hand the ball off you know we're just going to we're going to do that we're going to do this no matter what they're going to run their base offense it's going to be straight base plays in this game so you're going to see inside zone you're going to see power and counter you're going to see some outside zone and, and you know some varieties of those things along with all the all the rpo tags on them and whether they hand it off or not is going to be contingent on what Western shows in the box. So if they, if they have six blockers and Western, Western has six guys in the box, they're running the ball. If Western puts seven, eight guys in the box, they're going to pitch the ball out on the outside, and that's that. We're going to see some you – know, and then we'll see some play action and go over the top. You'll probably see a couple of those early in the game, particularly to just maintain some rhythm. So you'll probably – this is a good game. You know, if you do, I don't know if there's college fantasy this year or whatever, but I'm sure that there's something out there. If you, you know, if there's some way of getting Deami Brown on your team for this week, you're probably guaranteed a touchdown, maybe two, because they'll, <laughs> they'll pitch one over the top and he'll run right by somebody. And, you know, they'll, they'll do that. But my anticipation is that you're going to see Carter and Williams each get, you know, probably six, seven, eight carries a piece and then take a seat. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you're going to see those guys go over, say, 20, 21 touches as a, as, as, a, as a pair in this game because it's just not worth it. The co- coaches know that the, that the position that's going to be most easy, you're going to have the most easily, the most easily injured position, the guy that's, that, that's taken the most abuse, the most contact is going to be that guy, going to be the running back which is one of the reasons why having a two-headed running back like Williams and, and Carter is so helpful, not only to maintaining a fresh back who can, who's better able to, to handle what the defense is doing, but also because those guys are going to get hurt less because they're, they're popping in and out every few plays. And so they're fresher. And that means that their body uh, handles, handles the load better. It, you, you continue that into this game where I think they'll probably play through the first half but I'd be surprised if we saw more than, say, 20, 21 touches combined from those two guys. Uh, that's about the, about the sweet, sweet spot, I think, in the first half where you see those guys touch it there. And the thing is, as, as we can kind of expect, we're probably going to see a few big runs from them. 
So, you know, they might only have six, seven carries, but if they're averaging 10, 12 yards a carry against a, a defense that's just really overmatched, then you're going to see, you know, maybe 60, 70 yards a piece on six, seven carries. And, you know, that's, that, that's plenty for, for this game. But I don't think they're going to be featured. The last thing these coaches are going to do is try to chase 1,000 yards in a, in a game like this. They want to they make sure that their team is executing to the standard and that when they call something that the guys are going to do what they're supposed to do, whether that's Miami or whether that's Western. And so if you're supposed to hand it off, hand it off. If you're supposed to pull it and throw the glance or throw the bubble or throw the you know, smoke screen or whatever, then you do that. That's just, that's just what they're going to do. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Do, do what you do, not what the other team does. Go right. Ahead, Greg. Classic Roy Williams, right? Um, <laughs> but I, I think the, the other component to this is we know that Michael Carter's gone. Um, I'm assuming that Javante Williams is, is going to capitalize on his, his great year in, he needs in, in to. the NFL draft, and I would assume so. So what you have left is a, a stable of running backs that have combined for 21 carries this year. And that's your future. Um, you know, unless you're counting on one of the, the freshmen coming in next year to, to be a stud. So they need work. They need a lot of work. And so the, the idea would be to, yeah, let, let Carter and, and Javante you know, get into the flow and do all the things that, that Jason said. But really, even if you have Howell in there, I mean, really put those guys in and let them work with the ones um, and get some experience because they're going to need it next year. You, um, that, that's one of the things that, that Mac and Bateman have talked on is that Bateman's had to really rely on some of the younger guys just because the, the talent was in the younger classes. And so while he didn't do it enough early in the year and didn't do it enough last year, I mean, we saw a lot of young guys play defensively against Notre Dame. We saw them play early. And that, that's good for those guys. That, those are building block opportunities. We haven't really seen that offensively. I mean, you've seen six offensive linemen primarily. Uh, you know, backup quarterback, as we talked about a minute ago, Tommy. I mean, no other quarterback's taking a pass. And then you haven't had to rely on a, a backup running back because you gotta, you're probably the best two-headed monster in, in college football in Carter and Williams. And so this is really a game for the, the offense to build some depth because this has been lacking. Um, and it's not a big deal in the offensive line because everybody's coming back. But really, really at wide receiver and especially at running back, uh, this is a game where those guys need to get a lot of touches. And uh, you, you can use a lot of these guys the last three quarters of the game to at least kind of get their feet wet. Yeah, you sort of hinted on there um, Carter's last game and all the the information came out, who's leaving, who's coming back, who's who's graduating early and getting out of there. Uh, Greg, it is senior day, and I saw Michael Carter's media thing, and, you know, he's very thankful and all that. But it, it's a little disappointing that that place won't be full or somewhat full against a, game, a team like Western for these guys to go out on the field. Um, but I have a feeling Mac has something planned for them. But just speak to the, the number of talented guys this team does lose, especially on that offensive side of the ball. Yeah, the thing that really sucks for these guys is, I mean, their family members are not even going to be allowed on the field. And that's an NCAA rule. So uh, family is going to be in the stands, of course, but they're doing a, a video presentation for each of the guys. So that'll be nice. But it's just another, another part of 2020 that, that really kind of stinks. Um, you know, we knew that Michael Carter was going to be gone. Um, that, that really is not a surprise. 
uh, Daz Newsom is a, is a name that I thought maybe, you know, he would, he would come back. Um, you know, I don't know what his draft stock looks like, but uh, he apparently thinks he's, he's ready to move on. Um, we knew Chaz was going to leave. And then I think some of the, the names that were interesting to me, we knew Tamon Fox was going to leave, uh, is Garrett Walston. I thought there was a possibility that he would come back. Mm-hmm. And then Jace Ruger. Um, and Jace is a very interesting story, right? Because here's a kid uh, that's been injured twice, season injuries. So he was already set up to have a potential six-year career. Well, then you add 2020 into the mix, where this year doesn't count eligibility-wise. Um, and so he's, he's going to be a fourth-year guy on somebody's team next year, potentially with four years to play. <laughs> I saw his dad post that. I'm like, hey, that's Brigham Young right there. He needs to go out there and play. Chris Winkie, <laughs> lots yeah. of people, Lots of people go to school for seven years, go to college for seven years. <laughs> that's right. I, I know several people that did. Well, my brother did. Um, <laughs> he might be the first uh, has, has five to play four, play seven. Right. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, the fact that he's able to, to get his degree um, you know, is impressive. And so he's, he's really set himself up. And he's been a – you know, Jace has been a, a true uh, champion, too, of the, the locker room mindset, uh, a great team player, a very sharp kid, uh, you know, very strong in his faith. And so I, I think he set himself up well for a very solid future as well as a, a very solid football career uh, and that he's got a, a lot of good days ahead of him. Um, so, I mean, that, that speaks to kind of what North Carolina is going to have to deal with. That's why it's important for – Jacoby to, to get some good reps in this game on Saturday because uh, he, he's going to be your primary guy next year as a backup, even with, with May coming in. Um, and then, of course, uh, Bo Corrales and Tyrone Hopper, I think we should mention them. Yeah. They actually decided to come back. Um, Corrales has battled some injuries, so it makes sense that he wants to come back, and he could be a, a key figure for UNC if Diami decides to join Daz Newsom and leaving. Uh, we don't know that quite yet. And then Tyrone Hopper gives them an extra body at outside linebacker and provide some experience, some, some veteran leadership on the defensive line, which, which clearly is, is much needed. Jason, your thoughts on a guy, Javante's got to go. Uh, I mean, if he comes back, he must love it. And yeah, I can't imagine it. But a guy like Diamond Brown, you've watched enough wide receivers. He's a junior. He's draft eligible. Ooh, that's a close one. Yeah, and, and that's that's my thing, watching him. And this is not a knock on him because he's a fantastic college player. But, you know, those type guys are a dime a dozen in the pros. Um, what does he need to show to be able to go this year that he hasn't already shown over the past two or three years? Well, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing that he needs to, to demonstrate is, is consistency, particularly on the shorter stuff. Uh, he needs to show that he's a complete receiver, not just a – a deep guy and you know being a deep guy it's one of those things like you only got one trick but that's a pretty good trick right (laughs) so you know if you can run by people you can make a you can make a living (laughs) running by people the problem is that it's a lot harder to run by people in the nfl and uh so he needs to be more consistent to project really where he most likely will at the NFL level, because at the NFL level, he's probably a number two guy. He, he's not a feature receiver. He's not a number one receiver. I don't think now he has enough physical tools that, you know, he might be, make me eat those words in the sense of, you know, develop a little more consistency, demonstrate that he can do this at the highest against the highest level of competition. 
And, you know, for the right team in the right context, maybe he could be. But I think really he's probably going to be a number two guy at the NFL level, which means that you're expecting that him to be a guy that can do a lot of the dirty work in addition to being able to stretch, stretch the field. And he's over the last couple of years, he's dropped too many balls that are, that should be routine catches for a, a top level NFL guy who's going to have a, a, a long career there. And like you said, the problem is that guys, his size are, I mean, they grow on trees for the NFL draft. So you have to be special. And, you know, he's got, I mean, he's got good size. He's not, I mean, he's not small. He's about 6'2". But there are a lot of now these days, I mean, it's amazing for me to think about it because I'd be a small receiver in today's game. But, uh, but there are a lot of guys now that are, you know, 6'2", 6'3", receivers that are coming into the NFL draft. And he has to show that he is more consistent, that he's better than those, than those other guys. I think he's already shown that he's a quality route runner that he has a, uh, a knack for playing the position. He's a natural receiver in terms of playing the position that does already elevate him over a lot of the other guys his size. And, of course, he runs really well and he's smooth. So he's got a lot that he brings to the table. But he's not a guy that you look at and you're like, that's a surefire first rounder. He's probably a second, third rounder at this stage. Uh, you know, if, if, if he – if he goes, you know, might be, I'd probably peg him in the third round. I need to break him down a little bit more from this year and look at who else is going to be in the draft. But, you know, that puts him kind of on the margin of whether it's a good idea to stay or go. I do think that there's enough that he can improve on. Physically, he needs to get stronger. And then, uh, and then just in terms of consistency in being able to demonstrate that he can create separation underneath and that he can make the tough catches underneath and make the easy catches underneath. That's going to be the next step for him. And if he can show that he'll, he'll elevate his stock. And, and that might mean that it would be a good idea for him to come back for him to go. I mean, I, I don't think you could complain about it because those are all things that he can potentially improve, you know, as a, in, in his first year or two in the, at the next level. And if he wants to go get paid, he can go get paid. So he's one of those guys that, you really want to see, you want to feel out some of the top level NFL uh, scouting minds on this, reach out to them, see where you, where you might project, look at who else is going to come out and, and sort of assess where you, where you might, might stand there. But, uh, but he's an interesting one. Now, Daz Newsom, I would advise to come back, but that's, you know, that's another, another question. That's interesting comments, Greg, to that angle, um, speaking to the NFL, what have you gathered that Mac Brown and his staffs, I guess Mac Brown solely, um, or majority of the decision making and the contact, how does he handle this situation? Uh, we know how Dean Smith and Roy Williams do it, and we know that uh, Dean and Roy have no problem telling somebody if they need to go, they need to go, whether they want to or not. I mean, the famous comments are, "You better go talk to my mama." If you're telling me I need to leave early from some high-level players, how does Mike Brown handle this? Same way. Uh, Mac Brown has enough belief in his recruiting ability uh, that you're going to replace good pieces with good pieces. Um, and so you, getting guys drafted in the NFL helps your recruiting, and that's a good thing for the program. Um, and so he, he's been very, very open with, hey, you know, if you're ready to go, 
we're going to help you go and we're going to, we're going to do everything we can to help. You know, that's what Moody's in town for. And that's why he's drawing a paycheck is he's the NFL connection and he handles pro days. He handles all the interviews. Um, he, he gets things set up so that these guys know exactly what they need to work on, um, where they're projected to go. If it's smart for them to go uh, and helps along the, the process of, of figuring out the necessary steps for these kids. And that's, that's an attractive uh, recruiting aspect too, is you say, Hey, look, we've, we've got this, we've got this process in place when you get here that we're going to let you know every single year, Hey, even though you're not eligible to, to go into the draft, this is kind of where you stand. This is what you need to work on to get to that point. And this is how we can help you. I um, mean, so that by the time you're ready to go, none of this is a surprise. We've talked about this. It's been handled in the off season. Uh, so very much the same approach. And I think that speaks to uh, Max, um, I mean, it speaks to his Hall of Fame tenure, right? But it also speaks to kind of, he understands what it takes. He, he's had a lot of guys get drafted. Um, and, and people that are insecure and are clinging for the opportunity to win games, those are the coaches that kind of want to hold players back. And they will say, yeah, you know what? Well, we could use you for another year and you could use another year. Max, like, you know what? We're going to win next year, whether we have you or not. So go ahead and go ahead and jump ship and, and do everything you can to provide for you and your family. And um, personally, I think that's the way to do it. I think you know, these kids play a, a very physical game. They don't get paid for it at the college level. If you can make money, go do it. Yeah, I always love Dean Smith's comment. Everything in seasons for the team, everything out of seasons for the player. Yep. Uh, Let's wrap this one up, and we can talk about this. Greg, your article is on Inside Carolina today on Thursday. Um, I tweeted about it after watching the college football playoff rankings come out. After this season, after the season Carolina's had, the Orange Bowl is actually in play for this team. It's 2020, man. But t <laughs> tell us what has to happen um, for that to happen, because it would be pretty unbelievable. Well, I think kind of the main thing is is probably need Clemson to beat Notre Dame. Um, don't need it to be a bloodbath, but I think if if Clemson wins by a touchdown or two, both of those teams are going to be in the college football playoff. Uh, and the way the and for the ACC, yep, yep, very that's right, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and the way the protocol works is the Orange Bowl is contractually obligated to if they don't take the ACC champion because they get to the playoff. They take the next highest ranked team in the CFP rankings. And I don't know about you guys. I was surprised that UNC jumped up in the polls after uh, losing to Notre Dame. I didn't expect them to fall a lot because they played well. But I think that speaks to how, how uh, much value the committee puts on Notre Dame, how highly they think of that team for, for North Carolina to lose by 14 points and yet move up in the rankings. But by doing that, you're really talking about Miami, who's at number 10. They haven't played in three weeks. In North Carolina at number 17, being your two options for the Orange Bowl if both Notre Dame and Clemson make it to the college football playoff. Um, and I guess Miami plays Duke this weekend. And then who they have Georgia Tech maybe on the 19th if they don't make it to the yeah. ACC title game. Who knows what happens? Yeah, that's right. uh, that's the schedule. Right. Um, so it really sets up, and Miami beats Duke. Uh, North Carolina handles Western Carolina as they will. Uh, that game in Miami is going to be for uh, possibly for the Orange Bowl. 
And um, I think that's a, that's a great thing for the program. That's, that's something that Mac Brown can really use this week and next and be like, Hey, we may not get there. You know, even if we beat Miami, we may not jump them in the rankings. We'll have to wait and see, but you could potentially take care of that yourself. If you blow out Miami, the committee may have no choice. And at that point in time, you're talking about playing in the orange bowl on January 2nd, which yeah, at, uh, given that everybody kind of looked ahead to 2021 as being the special year for this program to play potentially in the orange bowl in 2020 after everything <laughs> that, that they've been through, it's just, uh, it's crazy. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't even know how to, as somebody that's followed Carolina football in my entire life, I don't know how to even fathom an orange bowl trip, especially after losing that damn Florida state team, Jason national question. And this is something that's been debated all week. First of all, Greg, let me clarify just so our listeners understand. If Carolina beats Miami, but Miami finishes higher ranked in the CFP than Carolina, they go to the Orange Bowl, assuming Notre Dame and Clemson are both in the playoff. It's done by ranking, correct? It's ranking, not standings. So uh, that was brought up on the board that, that Miami, if they take care of business in these games other than UNC, they will be – higher than UNC in the standings, the ACC standings. But it is the CFP rankings that make that determination for the Orange Bowl. And the other thing, let let me mention this, Tommy. We talked about this off air. Um, We got into this habit of really focusing on on the tiers for the bowl system. Like, you know, CFP, then you had the Orange Bowl. And if a Big Ten team was in the Orange Bowl, then the ACC got a Citrus Bowl game appearance. And then you had the Russell Athletic Bowl, which is now the Cheez-It Bowl, which is the next one. Then you had Tier 1, which is like four or five bowl games. And then you had Tier 2. Well, when the ACC announced their six-year bowl plan last summer, so from 2020, so it starts this year, through 2025, they eliminated, eliminated all of the tier talk. So it's all about what's best for the community, what's best for these bowls in terms of uh, proximity and uh, your matchups, all these kind of things. That's what matters. It's not the tier process anymore. And I think a lot of people have kind of become fixated on that, that cheese it bowl. Um, and because they have a, a good opponent in that game, it's still an important bowl for sure. Uh, but it's not, it's not the hierarchy that it once was. And there's going to be a lot of dialogue of you know, which bowl wants which team um, and so we'll have to wait and see. I mean, you've got the Gator Bowl, you've got the, the bowl in Charlotte, which I guess is what the Duke's Mayo Bowl now. Something like that. Um, Cheese It Bowl. <laughs> so those kind of take precedent because they've always been kind of the big bowl games. Uh, but it is not set in stone you know, once you get past the Orange Bowl. And so that, that's going to be a little bit different conversation this year. I wouldn't mind a Gator Bowl versus LSU or somebody, or somebody like that. Um, but, yeah, a good matchup is what I know the fans would like to see. Jason, question. Big debate on thing, uh, 11-0 and Cincinnati or 5-0 and Ohio State. Who goes to the playoffs? Uh, not who goes, who should. Yeah, that's two, that could be two Ooh. separate answers. Ooh. And that's, I say this hating Ohio State. I'll that's a <laughs> hard one. As far as who deserves to go 11-0 and Cincy versus 5-0, and Ohio State, I would say Cincy deserves to go. I agree. Who do they because take? They'd take Ohio State. That would be an absolute epic meltdown across the country. Would it not be, Gray? No. Man, Ohio State has more alums, and even in the state of Ohio, people would be happy about that. And it's the Power Five team. 
What about what do y'all think about uh, Brigham Young coming to Coastal Carolina this weekend? I like it. They're not scared. <laughs> They're not scared. <laughs> when they go, they come Chapel Hill and play instead of Western. Anyway, I cut well, you they, off. They couldn't because of, because of the rules from the ACC. Yeah. But um, but no, I, I mean, I think I think they'd take Ohio State just because they they say the eye test and you know, that we believe that's one of the four best teams in the country, which they probably are. But uh, and again, you wouldn't see an outcry. You'd see an outcry among a few national sports writers and, and, and so on. But the fact is, I've lived in Ohio. The only people in Ohio that would be upset to see Ohio State with five wins go to the playoff over Cincinnati with 11 wins are Michigan fans. <laughs> and the Cincinnati parents. Yeah, and the Cincinnati parents. Because <laughs> even the Cincinnati fans are usually Ohio State fans. So, <laughs> that's, and, and the playoff committee knows this, and they know on which side their bread is buttered. So, you know, that's, just, that's what I would expect. And it may be a good thing for Cincinnati because Central Florida has already set the precedent, right? Go undefeated, you, you declare a national championship. Since he doesn't go to the playoff, they win their bowl game against some hack team. You can't can, just declare a national championship. You can't just declare bankruptcy. You can just declare you win. I mean, I won. Period. I don't care what you said. I, did, I, yeah, I didn't lose. I didn't lose. <laughs> Prove I lost. I did it. I declared it. This is hilarious. <laughs> it's uh, it's been fun doing these. We got a big one next week, but this one not so much. Carolina and Western at noon in Keenan Stadium. It's been the Game Plan Podcast. Jason Staples, Greg Barnes. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Rate us, review us, subscribe, and support Johnny T-Shirt. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.